Today on Event or Else, the Beyonder kills death. Need I say more? Here it is, folks. Take a pill and try not to spill. It's time for Event or Else, the podcast where I go through most every major Marvel and DC event, one issue at a time, one episode at a time, because, well, to be honest, it all began at the tender age of 12. See, I'd been running errands for a local family that seemed to have their hands in pretty much everything. I mean, if there was money to be earned, legal or otherwise, this family had a piece of it. Well, by the time I'd turned 16, I was running my own crew. In fact, that was the summer I first killed a man. Uh, I should probably get that. Hello? Yeah? Well, yeah. I mean, no? Come on. No. I would never have used your name. No. Why would I do that? Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Right. Okay, sure. I won't. I promise, okay? Chill. All right, bye. Crazy. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah. I'm your host. My name is Steven. And you know what? Let's just get into things, okay? So, yeah. Secret Wars 2, number six. That's what we're looking at today. This issue sports a cover date of December 1985, but it actually hit the stands in September. It sold for 75 cents, and it is entitled Life Rules. Secret Wars 2, number six, was written by Jim Shooter, with pencils by Al Milgram, inks by Steve Lealoha, and the letters were by Rick Parker. As our story opens, the Beyonder is in Sparta, Illinois, where he's putting the finishing touches on his new headquarters, a massive building that appears to dwarf the town below it. This is Sparta! It houses a communications-slash-monitor center, a garage, hangars, a conference room that would put the United Nations to shame, a concert hall, a den, gardens, and so much more. With this new base of operations complete, the one from beyond is now ready to begin his new career. A champion of life, or... In other words, a superhero, just, you know, in more of a universal sense. Anyway, he immediately flies off on his first mission, arriving in New York City to assist the power pack against a couple of lowlifes who have found themselves an alien laser gun. Frickin' laser beam! A plot point that ties into power pack issue number 17. Meanwhile, back in Sparta... Sparta! A reporter for the Daily Sun-Telegraph, Dave, notices the Beyonder's crib taking up the skyline and realizes that there's a story in there somewhere. He arrives at the Beyonder's HQ just in time to witness the one from beyond fly away, as previously mentioned, to help the power pack. So, Dave waits for an undisclosed amount of time, but eventually the Beyonder returns and grants Dave an audience. The Beyonder tells Dave that he spent some time recently with Doctor Strange during one of the tie-in issues. And it was the Sorcerer Supreme who inspired him to find his purpose in life, which is, again, to be a champion of life. Dave is so impressed by the Beyonder and his goal that he quickly becomes the Beyonder's first disciple. I'm sorry, did I say disciple? I meant employee. Dave becomes the Beyonder's first employee 
helping him set up everything he needs, such as a call-in phone line, along with staff to answer the phones and market the Beyonder and all that stuff. And somewhere along the way, Dave became the Beyonder's best friend. Is this friendship? I think so. (laughs) Elsewhere in a modest apartment in a suburb of Colorado, Owen Reese, the most powerful man on earth, returns home from work as his lady friend, Marsha, who's still wearing her leotard and leg warmers, cooks them some dinner. Owen Reese, also known as the Molecule Man, who, as I said, is the most powerful man on earth, he really is, tells Marsha all about his day working his menial labor job at the local nuclear power plant, and then the two sit down for dinner. Their meal is soon interrupted by Uatu the Watcher, who has come to request Owen's aid in dealing with the Beyonder Whom, the Watcher says, is up to no good. I am, of course, paraphrasing. This is all after Uatu tells Marsha the story behind how Owen became the Molecule Man, and then basically tells Owen's life story, or at least up to the point that he appeared and then did stuff in Marvel superheroes' Secret Wars. Owen tells Uatu to put an egg in his loafers and beat it, hit the bricks, make like a tree and leave, get to stepping, clear out, push off, kick rock, split. You ain't got to go home, Uatu, but you can't stay here. And so the Watcher makes his egress. Meanwhile, the Beyonder is saving lives all over the place, and not just on Earth. The dude's out there all across the universe fighting for life. But there's a problem. The Beyond bro ain't getting no satisfaction from all the do-gooding he's doing. But before he and Dave can talk through all the feels that the Beyonder is feeling, both Reed Richards and Captain America arrive to tell the one from Beyond that, yeah, he's saving lives and stuff, sure. But, well, he's just too damn good at it. And gosh darn it, for some reason, that's wrong. He should be doing good and saving lives and all that, but he's doing too much good. And, well, that's bad. Dave points out to Reed and Cap that he and the Beyonder know what they're doing and not to worry. And amazingly, Reed and Cap agree to do just that. And then they leave. Eventually, the Beyonder realizes that what he's doing to help life just isn't enough. And to truly do what needs to be done, he's got to take death off the board. And Dave agrees. So the single most powerful being in the entire universe and Dave, well, they put their plan into action. And it all starts by taking death out to dinner. Yeah. The Beyonder and Dave have a table at a fancy restaurant in St. Louis, and soon death joins them. The Beyonder then takes up a glass of wine and places some of his power into it. Power enough so that the wine will act as a poison and kill death, which opens up all kinds of philosophical questions. I mean, If death is the being that kills or collects souls or whatever, how do you kill that? Is there a backup out there that will come and collect death's life essence or something? I mean, the whole point of taking death out of the equation is to stop life from dying, right? So that means in order for something to die, then you need this entity called death. But if it's death that you're trying to kill... Uh, My head's about to explode, so I'm going to step away from this point and move on with the story. Anyway, before the Beyonder and Dave can follow through with their plan, Mephisto shows up to put a stop to it. He fails, and so all the big cosmic beings show up. Ego and Eternity and the in-betweener and Fate and, well, all of them. They're all there in a restaurant. 
in St. Louis. We learn that the Beyonder is just using a fraction of his power to make this happen, you know, to kill death. We also learn that once it's all said and done, he's still going to have enough power to make quick work of all of them cosmic entities if need be. But he won't have enough power to reverse the removal of death from existence. This is an important point because while all of this was the Beyonder's idea, he's on the fence about it. I mean, this is probably the first time he's been faced with a decision, the outcome of which can't be reversed if he realizes that he made the wrong choice. Dave, on the other hand, has no compunction, no question. He knows what needs to be done, and he tells the Beyonder that he needs to do that. Removing death from the chessboard of existence is the right thing to do, and so it has to be done. For Dave, it's just that simple. The debate, however, is cut short when death takes up the wine glass and makes the decision for them, downing the poison in one shot like a pro before popping out of existence. Owen, back in Colorado, realizes what has happened and pops out to have words with the Beyonder. And so he too shows up at this restaurant in St. Louis and he yells at the one from beyond for, I don't know, at least a full minute, maybe less. But it was definitely enough time to convince Dave that he was wrong. But it's too late, right? I mean, the Beyonder himself said that in order to take death out of the equation, he'd need to use enough power that there wouldn't be enough left to reverse it. And yet he does just that. It's just that Dave has to be sacrificed in order to make it happen. And so the Beyonder lays his hands on Dave, and bam, Dave's gone, but death is back. I got better. As the issue ends, the Beyonder pulls his new headquarters apart and quits the whole hero thing. Or at least he decides not to do it in the way that he has been doing it. He's so powerful that he finds no fulfillment from helping people because it's all effortless. 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 Effort. Effortlessly. Effortlessly. So he thinks maybe he can still be a champion of life just with one hand tied behind his back. Uh, that was what is in the parlance of the times a big crap bag of an issue. <laughs> if you need an easy way to remember it, just think of a bag of crap. <laughs> Ooh, it was something, wasn't it? So let's get into it, all right? We'll start, as always, with the cover. This is a red cover. I, I call it that because the entire background is the solid color of red. The Beyonder is front and center, and he's wearing his suit that he's been wearing, you know, this leather suit with the leather boots and the leather jacket, very similar to what Eddie Murphy wears in Raw. It's just everything is one solid color. And normally that's been red or purple or green. Heck, in some issues, they've actually made his pants blue and the jacket and boots red, as they did at the end of the last issue. So it looks like he's wearing jeans. But on this cover, the entire suit, the boots, everything is white. Very reminiscent of Warrant's video for Heaven, which, coincidentally enough, all the live footage comes from a amphitheater that at the time was known as Sandstone, which is about 40 minutes to my right as I am sitting here now at the table. And in fact, I was there. I was there that day. So go out. I'll tell you what, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can see all the white leather goodness and know that I was there. I don't need to be a superhero. 
anyway, back to the cover, the, uh, the Beyonder in his white leather outfit. He's got like bullets and lasers and rocks and stuff just slamming into his chest and they're all bouncing off because he's a superhero now. And behind him are all the other heroes. You've got She-Hulk and Thor and Captain America and the Power Pack, Reed Richards, Cloak and Dagger. They're all cowering behind him. And he's standing there as if to say, back, everybody. I will take care of all this. Don't you worry. Uh, This is another what I would consider a classic cover because, well, only because it is familiar. I remember it. I, you know, there have been some covers that have come up and I go, I don't remember that cover at all. But I remember this one. And when I said that bullets and rocks and laser guns and such are being fired at him, it, it does appear to be all bullets and yet some of the stuff that are bouncing off of him are just way too big to be bullet fragments so i don't know maybe they're shooting bazookas at him or something what's that it's It's a bazooka bazooka. anyway there's really just a couple of things i want to touch on in this issue that i really want to spend time on the first one is that when we get to the scene with owen and marcia of course if you remember owen is the molecule man We remember him from Marvel Superhero Secret Wars, which we talked about in season number one of Event or Else. Marsha is Marsha Rosenberg, also known as Volcana or Volcana. I don't know what how you pronounce it, but she is Owen's lady friend. She made her first appearance in one of the issues of Secret Wars back in the season one that we talked about. And I want to know what's up with her pink leotard. I mean. If I remember correctly, that's all she wore in Secret Wars was this onesie leotard number. And that's all that we've seen her wear here in Secret Wars 2, except that she does eventually change into a skirt when the two of them, her and Owen, sit down for dinner. But it's a pink skirt and the top of it looks like the top of her leotard. And frankly, It could be something that Owen just used his molecule powers to change the bottom of her leotard into a skirt, because that's what it looks like. It looks like it's her leotard, but now it's just a skirt. So I don't know that I don't know if that's just a lazy artist. Uh, I have to assume so. We do get Al Milgram, though, drawing Marsha a bit bigger in this issue. The, The kind of the running joke with her since the first Secret Wars is that she's supposed to be fat. They spend a lot of time in Secret Wars making fun of her and calling her a cow and basically body shaming her. The villains do any chance they can get, but she was never really drawn that way. She's always been big as far as more statuesque, more like a like an Amazon, but she's never been drawn as being overweight in any way. And then here, for some reason, out of the blue, Al Milgram is drawing her uh, a bit more overweight, I guess, than than she has been previously drawn. I don't know why that suddenly changed, or I guess I should say, I don't know why they've suddenly, with this issue, started drawing her the way that they describe her verbally. I, I don't know. I don't know what's what's going on there. The other thing I wanted to talk about is the moment when Captain America and Reed Richards show up to the Beyonders headquarters to to talk to him. Uh, here's the thing: I have never been a big fan of the whole heroes telling other heroes how to hero, which is basically what Reed and Cap are doing here with the Beyonder. I mean, okay, here's what Reed tells him. I'll get to the point. We're somewhat worried about your current activities. 
I believe that you mean well, and you seem to have done some good, but where will this lead? Right now, most people regard what they've heard about you as rumor, exaggeration of pure fiction, but that will change. Then, I believe, slowly people will begin to rely upon you, and inexorably their lives will begin to revolve around you. What you're doing and not doing will become all that matters. That's not good. Okay, so I have some thoughts on this. I mean, couldn't you say the same thing to any hero out there helping people? Couldn't you say the same thing to both Reed and Cap? I mean, what are they out there doing? Are they letting some folks die or letting some bad guys go or letting some horrible things happen just so that people don't rely too much on the Fantastic Four? or the Avengers, because according to Reed, that wouldn't be good. Well, before we get into that, let me go forward just a little bit more. So the Beyonder's response to what Reed says is just simply, I see. And that's when Cap just straight up freaks the F out. And (laughs) he says, do you? Do you understand the importance of freedom? There's something disconcerting about you taking care of everyone on the planet. Something reminiscent of Big Brother watching. Freedom is the most precious thing a man can have, Beyonder. It must not be compromised. Freedom. Freedom to what? Cap. Die. Freedom to suffer. Freedom to live your life in poverty and squalor. Slow down, Cap. I mean, what is he trying to say here? It's okay to help people, but you can't just help everyone with everything. People have to have the chance to fix shit for themselves, so you really can't help people by solving all of their problems for them? I mean, (laughs) that sounds a bit like that whole right wing, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, kids going hungry isn't my problem, you can't forgive student loans because I had to pay off mine, hypocritical bullshit. That's that's what it sounds like to me. All right, look, uh, okay, okay, look, I do get what Jim is trying to say here. I mean, I guess the Beyonder is basically God, right? So what he's doing could lead to him just sitting at home and using his powers to make everything good everywhere at all times so that people don't ever have to worry about anything ever again, right? Meaning that there is a strong possibility that eventually people are going to start to worship the Beyonder like a god, but so what? I mean, there's already a large population of people in the real world who worship a god that allows true horror to abound all over the world. So why not worship a God that actually fixes shit? Uh, because if you take away all the blood, devastation, death, war, and horror from the world, then you take away freedom as well? Okay. Hello, good evening, and welcome to another edition of Blood, Devastation, Death, War, and Horror. All right, look, I get it. I do. I mean, I think the point that Reed's trying to make here is that What if people come to rely on the Beyonder and then he decides to just up and leave Earth to fend for itself? What then? But really, I think the direction they're they're trying to go, starting with this, of course, is the whole hubbub around the Beyonder removing death from the equation, which, again, is supposed to be a bad thing. But is it really? Okay, yeah, sure, it's bad. If only because the planet is going to become real small, real quick, And every being upon Earth is going to run out of room as more and more beings are born into the world without them ever dying. And that's not just people that we're talking about here, folks. Cats, dogs, fish, grass, 
bacteria, anything that lives. So, what's the solution? Well, if nothing can die, then nothing new can be born, right? That doesn't sound like a good idea either. So, yeah, I get it. I just think that while Jim spends a lot of time telling us that what the Beyonder is doing is bad, he just doesn't do a great job of telling us why. Like, he's just hoping that naturally we're going to know why it's not good. So, I mean, yeah, I guess Reed and Cap are really worried mostly about the worst case scenario. But, damn, they just come off as arrogant to me. Like, only they know how to help humanity. And if anyone deviates from what they feel is the right way to do good, then they are the enemy and they must be stopped. I don't know. I mean, this is all some super heavy philosophical topics that, frankly, I'm really just not strong enough to carry. But here's the thing. I don't think Jim's strong enough either because, again, he's telling us this is bad. He's just not telling us why. Not really. I mean, beyond freedom. What will you do without freedom? It's a funny thing, freedom. I mean, yes. how can any of us be really free when we still have personal possessions? You can't. You can't. It's like he's just relying on the fact that at the end of the day, the Beyonder is basically the bad guy here, right? So regardless of all the good that he's doing, because he's the one doing it, then it has to be bad, right? We know that because the Watcher and then Reed and Cap and then all the freaking cosmic beings in the universe tell us that it's bad. What? <laughs> okay, whatever. Uh, then when we actually get to it, when they actually kill death. It's a hell of a thing killing a man. We get a bunch of panels and a bunch of pages and just a lot of spaces taken up with everyone trying to stop the Beyonder from ending death. But then once he actually does it, Something he says he can't reverse, by the way. We get, what, like two really quick pages without death before he brings her back? I mean, I'll say it again. The main thing that this event suffers from is too much to tell and not enough room to tell it. So all of these ideas are so condensed and they just fly by so quickly that you can't really grab hold of anything. And it makes for a very unpleasant reading experience. And they open up this big old can of worms in this episode with all these deep, deep philosophical questions like what makes a hero? What really is the Beyonder doing that's so wrong? Do we want to get rid of death? You know, it just there's just so many big subjects here that they're trying to tackle. And it all comes off as just drive by ideas that before you have time to really kind of wrap your mind out of, you know, around what's going on, the, you know, these big concepts, boom, they've, they've moved off to something else. It's like, hey, I'm the Beyonder, and uh, I've decided I'm going to be a champion of life, so I'm going to go out and start saving people. And then Captain America and, you know, Reed come in, hey, you can't do this. It's bad. Well, why is it bad? Just, you just can't do it. Well, I know what I'm doing. All right, then, cool, we'll leave. But we're going to keep an eye on him. You know what, Dave, says the Beyonder, I think I got to kill death. Hey, Dave says, that's a really good idea. Let's do that. All right, uh, let's go kill death. How are we going to do that? Let's invite death to a restaurant and poison death wine. That's a good idea. That always works in the movies. And then, oh, all these cosmic entities, the great big ones, they all come out of nowhere. No, you can't do this. Just don't stop. Don't do it. Oh, I did it anyway. Oh, no, you did it. It's bad. Oh, that's okay, because here I reversed it. <laughs> you know, it's so, it's so fast and stupid at the same time. And yet I, I can't help but enjoy it in some sick, twisted way. Now, of course, as we get to the end here, I, I always have to ask the question, do we need to be reading the tie-in issues? And again, once again, it's, it's the same answer. No. It seemed at first with this issue that yes, 
reading the tie-in issues was going to be very important because with the end of issue five, the Beyonder was very depressed and it felt like, and I'm pretty sure they somewhat outright said it, he was going back to wherever he calls home to end his life. And we go from there to the first page here where he's building a new headquarters and he's decided to become a superhero. How did that happen? Well, obviously it happened in a tie-in issue, but they tell us which tie-in issue it was and they give us all the important information from that tie-in issue here in issue number six. So yeah, we didn't really need to read it anyway. So all this stuff that I keep hearing about, oh, you're not going to enjoy this because you're supposed to read all the tie-in issues. First of all, I'm not enjoying it anyway. I don't think reading the tie-in issues would have done anything to allow me to enjoy this series so far in any way. Again, the main problem with this series is not that you, you know, you have to read the tie-in issues because that doesn't seem to be the case. The main issue here is that, well, first of all, the art is granted subjective. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? But the art just seems to be very subpar. I don't know much about art, but I know what I like. And I say that knowing that I have read a number of Al Milgram books that I have enjoyed. This one, not so much. But I don't think I can lay that completely on the shoulders of Al Milgram. I've, I've talked about this before. There's too much story to tell and not enough room to tell it. And the art suffers because of that. I mean, I feel like Jim Shooter is giving Al Milgram a script that any artist worth their salt would turn that script into probably three issues. But Jim wants him to cram it all into one issue. And, and, and I think Al is doing the best with what he can do. So I don't blame him in any way. Does that mean I blame Jim? Sure. I guess, I guess that means I blame Jim. I, I guess. I don't know. You know what I, I, I would like to find out is... Because here in a moment, we're going to talk about what's coming up next. You know, they have the little blurb at the end of each issue that tells you what tie-in issues you want to go to next and what's going to happen in those tie-in issues. And I have to assume that because what they're trying to do here is take the story from one issue of Secret Wars 2, weave it into what's going on in the tie-in issues, and then as they say, come back in a month where all these thread lines come back together in the next issue of Secret Wars 2. I would like to know how all that is working behind the scenes. Is Jim Shooter providing the writers of these other books with these edicts that says, all right, here's what you have to do in your issue, and you can't deviate from that, and, and how that looks. Because from the few tie-in issues I've read so far, Jim Shooter's not writing these tie-in issues, but they have to tie in, right? So I would like to know how that looks. Is he giving them a list of things that says, all right, this is what has to happen in your issue. Everything else is up to you, but these three things have to happen in, issue, in your issue. And in Doctor Strange, regardless of what he's doing right now, he has to meet up with the Beyonder and he has to convince the Beyonder that what he wants to do is be a superhero. You know, I find that, I find that interesting. I'd like to know how all that works. Anyway, here's what we can look forward to next. If you are reading the tie-in issues, the, the blurb at the end of this issue says, next. The story continues in Cloak and Dagger number four as the Beyonder shows them the true meaning of vigilantism and forever changes their lives. A landmark issue! Exclamation points abound. Now, speaking of Cloak and Dagger, remember last week when the blurb at the end of the issue said that this issue would star Cloak and Dagger, Power Pack, Thor, Beta Ray Bill, 
and virtually all of Marvel's ultra-cosmic identities, and that this issue would be, quote, the cosmic event of all time, end quote. Remember that? Well, I have some issues with that. It's people like you, what cause unrest? Cloak and Dagger and Thor, well, they appear in one panel in this issue. It's the same panel, and it's a projection of Dave's thoughts. And it's them along with the other heroes just watching in envy as the Beyonder becomes the hero that everybody loves. It's like basically Dave's going, when, when Reed and Cap show up and they're like, ah, oh, we don't like the way you're doing things here, buddy. This is the way you should do it. We're really concerned. Dave is basically like, ah, oh, you guys settle down. This is what I think is really happening. And there's this uh, helmet that the Beyonder created that uh, the Beyonder used when he was explaining to Dave basically what happened in the, in the Doctor Strange issue. Rather than tell the story, he projects the story from, from his mind out into the open air using this helmet so that Dave can see it and, and experience what happened. And so Dave does the same thing. He puts the helmet on and he goes, here's what I think is going on. I think you guys are jealous. I think that you see the Beyonder out there kicking ass and he's doing it in ways that you wish you could and you're jealous. And as he's telling them this, we get a projection of what he thinks is going on in his mind. So it's his imagination. So yes, Cloak and Dagger and Thor appear in this issue, but they appear as a vision of somebody's imagination. And it's only in one panel. So to say that they star in this issue, no, I, I, I don't buy that at all. Power Pack is in the issue longer than anybody else that is listed there. And even then, I think it's a page and a half. Beta Ray Bill gets two panels. Both of those panels are showing him on a view screen. And the second one is him in his mortal form. So yeah, there's really not any real appearances by, by any of them that they say are, are going to be here. I mean, Captain America and Reed Richards are in this book for way more panels than Thor or Cloak and Dagger or even Beta Ray Bill. So why were they not mentioned in that blurb last, last week? You know, why, why aren't they amongst those that are going to be starring in this issue, considering that they're in it much longer than anybody else they mentioned? I mean, it's all a mystery. And as far as this issue being the cosmic event of all time, oh, that's actually hilarious. Whatever. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, okay. So all of these big cosmic entities do appear in this issue. They are part of the story, but it happens inside a restaurant in St. Louis. I don't know that that would be considered a cosmic event. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's just me. Anyway, back to the issue ending blurb. And in Power Pack number 18, the Power Kids meet the Beyonder again and have the slugfest of their young lives against the creature called Curse. This tale also ties in with Thor number 363. More of that in a minute. That's what the blurb says. That's not me saying that. In Micronauts number 16, the Beyonder goes to the Microverse on a mission that may kill billions. Scion thinks it's a great idea. The Micronauts disagree. And how? I find it interesting that a few of these tie-in issues have been in books that are not owned by Marvel Comics. Micronauts is a licensed property uh, from a toy company. We had a tie-in in in a, in a ROM Space Night issue. All of these are characters that Marvel may have had the license to publish books about at the time, but they never they've never owned them. 
So if they ever, maybe they have, I don't know, if they ever do a collection of the tie-ins, unless they make some kind of deal, or maybe a deal's already been made, whatever contracts they had, I don't think that they can put those issues in any kind of collection. But maybe I'm wrong. I, I feel like there was an omnibus that was put out, and I would assume that an omnibus would have the tie-in issues, and maybe that has these issues of Micronauts and Transformers and ROM. I don't know, uh, because I don't own the omnibus. If you do and you know, let me know. Event or else at gmail.com. Anyway, back to the blurb. Thor, number 363, guest stars, Power Pack, and the Beyonder in the final showdown with Curse. This may be the fight of the year. Yeah, y'all lost all credibility with that whole cosmic event of all time crap. You know, that bullshit you were pushing off on us last time and that didn't play out. So I really doubt that this is going to be the fight of the year. Anyway, in Power Man and Iron Fist number 121, Luke Cage takes the Beyonder to lunch at a soul food restaurant. Yes, there's awesome action too, but this culinary experience must be seen to be believed. You know, the Beyonder sure does spend a lot of time in eating places during this event, doesn't he? He's not eating bottles of soda at a hot dog stand. He's going to a fancy restaurant with a mob boss who hooks him up with freaking orgies and, and, and junk. He's, he's in restaurants a lot. Anyway, so one month from now, back in their time, the threads of our tale are gathered again in Secret Wars 2 number 7, which features the thing and virtually every villain who's worth his salt. His salt. That's what it says. So I guess that means there are no female villains at all in the issue because it's virtually every villain who's worth his salt. Oh, and it continues. And the X-Men, the New Mutants, and Spider-Man show up to be here for Charge of the Dark Brigade. You see what they did there? Play on the whole Charge of the Light Brigade. But because every villain who's worth his salt is going to be in the issue, it's Charge of the Dark Brigade. I think I'm more excited to find out how they're going to present all of these villains in issue number seven. Because so far, whenever they've made statements like that, this is going to be the biggest thing of all time. You get like three panels of that thing. And because again, way too much information, not enough space to put all that information in. So that should be fun. Hopefully I'll remember to uh, point that out next week when we look at issue number seven. So yeah, come back here next week for that one, folks. Uh, until then, uh, I am mentally exhausted and I need a nap. Bye. Event or Else is a Stephen or Else production. Find more great podcasts at stephenorelse.com. Questions and comments can be directed to eventorelse at gmail.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Stephen R. Orr. And in return, I'm going to do my very best to get you and your fellow patrons episodes just like this one before anybody else. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share this episode with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. There's a snort. <laughs> uh, that may go at the end of the sentence. It better. Go away.